Frequency Cast. Startup in progress. Hi, and welcome to Frequency Cast number 64, the UK's digital TV and technology show. The show that's driven by feedback from you. My name's Carl, and with me today is our tech guru, Pete. In today's show, we discuss the future of the internet with one of the UK's leading internet providers. Now, here's a look at what we'll be talking about in today's tantalising take on technology. BBC goes full HD, but breaks Sony's TVs. Are we in danger of living in an internet bubble? Switchover dates for London and the South released. More information on what's in store for IPv6. Plus your questions on shortwave radio, carrots and cable tidies. Again, first off, here's Pete with the latest TV and tech news. Frequency cast, now loading, news. The headlines, starting off with HD. The BBC has started broadcasting some content in full HD. That's 1080p as opposed to 1080i. The change from 25 to 50 frames per second was quietly introduced in April, and the BBC switched between the I and the P formats when the content warrants. The switching appears to be causing some problems though, notably with sound on some Sony Bravia TV sets. Sony apparently is set to release a patch very soon. Apple news next, and it seems that Apple is about to enter the cloud computing market with its new iCloud service. It's also set to announce Lion, an updated version of the Mac OS, as well as a new version of iOS for mobile devices. Expect more news on Apple's announcements following the Worldwide Developer Conference this month. Some freeview news now. BBC Alba, the garlic language TV station, launches in Scotland on the 8th of June. Some BBC radio stations are having to be removed from Freeview in Scotland to make way for this station. Next, if you're a mobile web surfer, note that according to an Ofcom report, you'll now get the fastest mobile performance on the O2 network, with Orange apparently being the worst performer. Average speed for O2 mobile users was 1.5 megabits per second, although the tests were completed using dongles as opposed to mobiles. There's a link to the full review on our show notes. Now some radio news. UK radio listening has hit an all-time high with 91.6% of the UK switching on their radios each week. And that's despite those appalling Radio Halifax ads. The ratings from Rajar also show a decent rise in digital and mobile listening. In TV switchover news, dates for Southern England switchover have now been released, with the big one, London's Crystal Palace, set to lose analogue on the 18th of April 2012. Links to the dates for Southern England up on our show notes. Next, Alan Partridge fans note that filming of Partridge the Movie is set to start next year, finally. It seems the film will be set in the UK and not the US as previously believed. And finally, every little helps. Tesco is about to start trials of a new service, in-store SatNav. At the moment, the service is only going to be available on the Android platform and will be trialled in their Romford store. It allows shoppers to locate products by aisle and navigate to the product using the fastest route. If the trial is successful, in-store map apps and route planners could go nationwide. At the end of the aisle, turn right. You have reached your ravioli. Thanks, Pete. For more on these stories and others, visit frequencycast.co.uk slash news. Frequency Cast. Now loading. Focus. 
So it's focus time, and what are we going to talk about today, Pete? Well, we're talking about the internet. Now, I know we've done that before, but there's been a whole bunch of news stories that have kind of converged in the last couple of months. So it's a good time to discuss the internet, and particularly the future of the internet. The future of the internet. Uh, I want to talk to you about something called TED. Have you heard of TED before? Edward, you mean? Edward V? Are we going back even further? Edward Seventh. Let me tell you what TED is. TED is all about ideas worth spreading, and basically there are a series of conferences, normally that take place in the US, although there are some over here in the UK, that discuss uh, kind of cutting-edge problems, things that affect us all, particularly technology-related stuff. And it's all driven from a website called TED.com. Oh, yes, TED. Now, this would be the video you're going to play me today, isn't it? Now, I stumbled across this about a month ago, and when I watched it, it really kind of made me gear change on what my views are on the internet. Now, what I want to do, to those of you that are listening to us, what I'd like you to do is, if you can, pause the playback, and I'd like you to go somewhere where there's a YouTube facility and have a look at this clip. To make it easy, I've set up frequencycast.co.uk forward slash TED, T-E-D, and that will take you straight to the YouTube clip in question. And while you're doing that, I'm going to also pause at this end and play this to Carl. Okay, I'm sitting comfortably. Let the show begin. And for those that haven't managed to get access to YouTube, here's a very brief clip. You know, this is how the founding mythology goes, right? In a broadcast society, there were these gatekeepers, the editors, and they controlled the flows of information. And along came the internet, and it swept them out of the way, and it allowed us, all of us to connect together, and it was awesome. But that's not actually what's happening right now. What we're seeing is more of a passing of the torch from human gatekeepers to algorithmic ones. And the thing is that the algorithms don't yet have the kind of embedded ethics that the editors did. So if algorithms are going to curate the world for us, if they're going to decide what we get to see and what we don't get to see, then we need to make sure that they're not just keyed to relevance. We need to make sure that they also show us things that are uncomfortable or challenging or important. This is what TED does, right? Other points of view. So what you heard there and what Carl's been watching is a clip of Eli Pariser talking about the internet filter bubble. So Carl, what did you make of that? Well, other than the technical side, a very slick presentation style he has, what with a a beautifully used PowerPoint, uh, what I got from it was actually quite interesting. It's not something that hadn't sort of concerned me before, but he put it into, well, technical terms and correct terms as well. So effectively, what Eli has said in his presentation there is that we're all living in an internet bubble. Now, what he did was he got two completely different friends to both go to Google and type in Egypt. And one of them got information about the uprising and the various political situation in Egypt. And the other guy got tourist information, which is basically indicating that there's two different types of search out there and that Google can keep an eye on what you're doing and the kind of stuff you're interested in looking up and serving up different content accordingly. So no one Google search is the same anywhere else in the world. Yes, I think I would have got more from it if someone had been able to argue their corner. Well, the other side of the coin is why this filtering takes place. And effectively, it's all about advertising. So you're on the internet, you're doing stuff, and they want to serve you relevant and appropriate advertising. So you may have noticed this. If you do something like, I don't know, let's say you go onto a John Lewis website and you start looking at office chairs, you might suddenly find out that you get bombarded with a lot of ads for office chairs. Now that's all this specific targeting going on. And similarly, if you're looking around Google and all you're really interested in is pop culture and music and the like, they're not going to give you anything too sort of heavy and Washington University. So this filtering is actually done for your benefit more than Google's benefit necessarily. 
Same is true of things like Facebook, where they know what your interests are, and so they give you ads and content related to what they think you're interested in. Well, no, I appreciate that it's not time for paranoia because they're doing it with the best intentions in the world, I'm sure. I do have quite a lot of reserve judgment on their ability to do this. Maybe the internet needs to go the way of television, you know, the old terrestrial channels, where you've got BBC One and BBC Two, which are totally advert-free, and that would be some sort of server that you could access, which would be without adverts full stop, and that would be for generic information. And then you have the commercial internet connection as well. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, personally, for me, I'd like a a filter on off switch with Google somewhere that I can decide whether I want the entire internet or the personalised version of the internet. But I like the idea of the commercial and the um, public service version. Would one be faster than the other? Well, clearly, like British Rail, we know which would be the faster. There you go. So if you manage to watch the TED clip, we'd be very interested in your views. Let us know what you think about these algorithmic gatekeepers taking over and deciding whether you're fit and able to watch what they want you to watch. Well, I feel that whole experience has made me vastly intellectual and I've become a completely different person. I don't know whether I can go ahead with this show with the same tongue-in-cheek cheese that I provide. That'd be a benefit for all of us. Talking of benefits, we've just had some new EU legislation come in about cookies. Websites now have to be very, very careful about cookies, to the point that you might now start getting pop-ups saying, warning, this website has a cookie, would you like to accept the cookie? Yes, and of course, if you're selecting a cookie, make sure if you have a nut allergy, you don't select one with nuts in it. Next piece of internet news relates to TalkTalk. They have added some server-side security that does three things. Are you paying attention? Always. Thing number one, server-side virus protection. What they do is they look at the websites that you're visiting and decide whether they think they're safe for you to look at them or not. Is this not another vetting system going on? Designed to keep you safe, apparently. They also have something called Kids Safe, which lets parents decide which website should be blocked and which should be let through, which kind of sounds like a good idea. Well, that sounds like you're interactive with that, so you obviously have a choice, so that sounds all right. And the other thing they've added is homework time, which blocks social networking and gaming sites between set times. So kids carry on with their homework. No, that seems all right. But what about this idea of TalkTalk checking every page you access and deciding whether that should go through or not? Well, it depends on what their uh, terms and conditions are there. What's, What's their category of safety? Do they provide you with a life jacket when you go on the internet? I can't help thinking back to the fact that TalkTalk were one of the providers playing around with form, which was this idea about capturing where you've been and giving you adverts relating to websites you've been to. I'm assuming some of the same technologies there, but this time, rather than for advertising purposes, this is to keep us all safe. Yeah. And the final bit of news I have for you with the internet is Skype. Oh, I remember that. That's the, uh, the free telephone lines, isn't it? Microsoft has just bought Skype. Interesting. Why have they bought Skype exactly? What was the benefit there? Well, good question. I suspect it's so that things like the Microsoft Messenger and Live services will start integrating voice services. But the big one is probably things like Office, where you can now find um, that as you're writing a document, you can share it with your colleagues. Things like Outlook as well. Instead of sending an email, you can do live chat. It's kind of integrating everything into one solution. Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. Um, There's probably lots of opinions on that. If you want to tell us your opinion, don't forget to email us or uh, text us or just blog us or whatever else you'd like to do to us. Turn us off, maybe. (laughs) Providing the internet doesn't filter us out, of course. Uh, Now, Carl, show 62, we talked about something quite serious to do with the future of the internet. 
Okay, remind me, what was it? We're running out of addresses. Oh, yes, the mile-long email address. <laughs> the IP Freely 6 or something like that. That's the one, IPv6, which is the new form of internet address. Now, we put together a piece in show number 62. Since then, we've been contacted by Plusnet. Have we? Well, the good, honest Yorkshire folk. Now, we actually got to speak to Plusnet on a very important day for us, Towel Day on the 25th of May. Towel day, yeah. Sorry, is this a Hitchhiker's thing? I've missed the reference there. Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, sadly passed away in 2001, and every day on the 25th of May, to commemorate, Hitchhiker's fans carry with them a towel. Don't panic. What was that meant to be? Sounds more like Dad's Army to me. Anyway, we spoke to Richard Fletcher, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Plusnet. We got him on the line, and first of all, of course, we wished him Happy Towel Day. And Happy Towel Day to you. Now, this IPv6 stuff, it's clearly confused our Carl here in the studio. Now, I'm hoping you can help us out with some of the more confusing areas of IPv6. Hopefully I can answer some questions for your listeners. Superb. Even though we did a feature on this a couple of months ago, we're still getting lots of emails from people that are a bit worried uh, that this IPv6 thing is going to cause them some problems. First off, can you just remind us of why we've got to make this move? The main reason that we're moving to IPv6 is because the current way of assigning IP addresses to customers um, is by using this old technology called IPv4, which was developed in the 60s. Basically, the number of possible addresses are, are running out in order for the internet to continue to grow. The internet community needs to move to this new standard, this IPv6 standard, and we are about to start our transition before IPv4 runs out so we can look at what needs to be done and test all of our systems and, and so on. Now, if I understand it, there's a lot of work that's got to be done before we can be fully ready for IPv6. Is this actually something that we should be worried about? We're not going to move wholly over to IPv6. We will do over time. I don't think it's something that people should be particularly concerned about. There's a lot of concern in the technical industry because it is a challenge. There's, there's things for people to do. There's new hardware to put in. There's systems to test, etc. But the sites that you fundamentally visit today will still be accessible going forward. So really, these changes are only going to affect some of the newer sites coming on? And that's probably the big area of concern where if you connect without using IPv6 and maybe some services um, are only available on IPv6 and aren't available on IPv4 and you haven't transitioned to what they call dual stack, you won't be able to access some particular service. So if you imagine a new flavor of Twitter coming online or a new service like that coming online and it was only available on IPv6, if you haven't made the transition, you'll be able to access that service and all ISPs should be able to do stuff to make sure that people can connect to their services and, and, and still enjoy them. Fingers crossed. Now, we mentioned in our April show that there's a website called testipv6.com which lets you check out your browser and your internet connection to see how ready you are for IPv6. Now when I go to that site at the moment I see a 0% readiness which sounds a little bit worrying. Is that what I should expect at the moment or should I be expecting more than zero? We've just started our transition and actually today my network engineer Carl has actually connected that site for the first time and got 100% success just this morning and it is just about the fact that ISPs and other internet service providers will gradually over time move people over and during the period you'll, you'll see that percentage just rise up. So actually the day before we were only 80% ready because we hadn't enabled our DNS servers which is like the internet's address book. So over time absolutely people will just start to see that, that, that percentage lift up. It's obviously going to be a very busy time for you guys. What about the end user though? I'm thinking particularly of things like software patches for computers and maybe fiddling around with routers to get IPv6 to work. 
As a home broadband user, is this going to be a hassle? It should be a fairly smooth process. The, the challenge for a lot of ISPs will be if you've bought a very old router, that router might not have um, firmware which is capable of running IPv6. I think the biggest challenge for most customers will be around operating systems and so on. So OSX and Windows 7 all support IPv6, but some older operating systems and devices don't support it. And during the transition, people are going to have to upgrade and change their firmware or upgrade their devices. So there's some issues around how um, successful, for example, Windows XP is um, with IPv6. And, and, and there's some pieces around that that have to be done. Really? Windows XP? Uh, I use Windows XP myself. Am I likely to have a problem then with IPv6? At some point, I'm sure that we'll probably be looking down to a patching cycle and so on, but right now there's just some small challenges around how, um, how it integrates with a dual-stack environment. Clearly a lot of work still to be done then. Now that's the consumer side of things. What about the more corporate side of things? Being a little bit selfish, I'm thinking of our website where we use a lot of third-party apps that make use of IP addresses for things like forum blocking, geotagging. Now there's so many different bits of software out there that do rely on the old format of IP addresses. Is that going to be a concern when we get to V6? I'll be honest, this is where the real challenge starts to come in, and I think this is the, the bit that is uh, quite significant. A lot of um, providers will offer this dual-stack service, so you shouldn't see any particular issue, but you will want to move your own services to IPv6 over a period of time, and, and that's a major change to how the internet works. Where it becomes more of an issue is kind of some of the internals on, of, of the systems, because they might not be suitable for IPv6. Um, a lot will be, um, but some won't be. And the big one, actually, is around things like functions around whitelisting addresses on corporate networks. There'll be these new services coming on, geo-filtering, um, in terms of for rights holders using streaming services, they've got to consider those type of things. And less developed countries actually might be the first ones to take IPv6. They might go straight there straight away and actually avoid IPv4. There'll be a lot of challenges around how the, all that geotype functionality is going to work. I think that's one of the reasons actually we're, we're trying to trial it quite early. So how are things going as far as Plusnet's plans for IPv6? How far down the line are you? We've enabled all of our core network, all of our internal network for IPv6 over the last couple of months. We've enabled our, our transit, um, which is where we transit out to different providers on the internet. And on IPv6 day, we'll be um, getting 25 of our customers to actually connect over IPv6 to our network and actually visit things like Facebook and Google and there's providers that have got IPv6 servers already enabled just to kind of showcase the fact that consumers shouldn't be too worried about it but there is still a lot of things to do um, for the tech industry and, and we want to kind of also kind of be part of that. Now you briefly mentioned IPv6 day which if I remember rightly is taking place on the 8th of June. Now is that a big milestone for Plusnet? I think it's going to be a great day for us just in terms of we'll have our first customers online so it'll be the first chance that we'll get to see what customers see of IPv6 and hopefully they'll see nothing and it'll all just work and it'll be fantastically seamless. If not, my interview here is going to be really, really horrible because I've got it all wrong. (laughs) Don't worry, we won't hold it against you. (laughs) A couple of days ago, we put out a tweet to our listeners uh, to get them to send in some questions that we could pose to you. Now, we heard from uh, Neil Tomlinson and Spencer Ralph who were asking when they'd be getting faster broadband speeds where they live. Now, I'm assuming we're not going to go down that road. Now, we also heard from Rob Dixon, who's one of our regular listeners. When we put out the tweet, we didn't actually say which internet service provider we'd be talking to. Now, this may sound like a setup, but I promise you this one's true. Rob says, I've got no questions, but if it's Plusnet you're talking to, please congratulate them on their excellent customer service. How's that? (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) Great to hear. I always like to hear that from customers.
We also heard from Robert Uprichard and Adrian Higginbotham. They got in touch to talk about the role that the ISP plays in broadband today. Now, obviously, there's been some challenges out there, things like the Digital Economy Act, the whole uh, user piracy issue, super injunctions, big news at the moment, of course, and all the issues around advertising broadband speeds. Now, obviously, a challenging time for you as an internet service provider. What would you say were the biggest challenges out there for you at the moment? I think the biggest challenge remains for ISPs actually right now is is video. I think video is a fantastic opportunity for consumers. We're starting to see a real shift in demand for catch-up TV services. That is going to be a big capacity challenge, um, and it's something that all ISPs will be able to meet, but I still think there's so much more to run on video. I think, you know, video conferencing, you've seen Microsoft by Skype, and I think there's some really interesting stuff there that's going to happen in terms of actually is that going to just drive more video usage. The problem for ISPs is just going to be the challenge of can you keep up with the capacity? And it's going to be fun um, because actually all these great new services are going to come online, but um, the growth rates have been phenomenal over the last couple of years and it's just a challenge for every ISP to sit there and kind of make sure they've got everything nailed down and sorted. Talking of challenges, I'd like to challenge you now, if I may. You've already mentioned that uh, video's fast becoming big business online. Where would you see the internet taking us in the next, uh, let's say, five years? I think the interesting thing for me is, is whether or not cloud computing kind of actually moves to another level in terms of saying, right, okay, you've, you've got all these great services you access on the cloud. Do you really have a, a laptop anymore? Or actually, is there a, a really massive, significant pushback from it? And actually, everybody says, no, actually, you know, there's lots of concerns about privacy on the internet and so on. And whether or not we'll, we'll have this tipping point of people just saying, actually, you know what, I'm happy to invest in everything in the cloud. I'm happy to have everything on Facebook and my life managed there. And then other people that just actually really get to enough by it because it's kind of like, no, actually, I really don't. And, and we see this almost two groups of people in the internet in terms of how they operate saying, actually, I'm totally into it. And others that are just still kind of saying, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just interact with straight services. If it's okay, we'll give you a call in about five years and see how right you were. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Now, I've just got one final question for you, and this is about one of Plusnet's more unique services. If I've got this right, you offer your customers something rather special overnight. Have I got that right? Yeah, we, we offer unlimited overnight from uh, midnight to 8am. We don't put um, any restraints on any of our traffic or any of the usage, so literally you can um, knock yourself out and, and download as much as you like, and that's even on our base tier products, the, on our, on our value product you can get 10 gig during the day up until midnight and then from midnight to 8am that works really well and if you're anything like me with uh, a couple of young children that makes for handy CBeebies iPlayer watching at 6am which doesn't count towards my usage which is fantastic. Great tip thanks very much for that Fletch and uh, thanks very much for your time good to find out what's uh, really going on with IPv6 and also to find out what your predictions are for the future and uh, we will be checking in five years from now. Thank you very much Pete and happy (laughs) towel day. And to you, thank you very much. That was Richard Fletcher, the Chief Executive Officer at Plusnet. There's a longer version of that interview, as well as a transcript and some more information on our website, www.frequencycast.co.uk forward slash Plusnet. And if you're listening to this before the 7th of June 2011, there's also a handy code to give you a year's broadband from Plusnet half price. That's just £3.24 a month for 12 months with, of course, that unlimited overnight downloading. Hello, I'm John from Channel 5's Gadget Show, and you're listening to Frequency Cast. Okay, so we have IPv6 changes on the way, Google and TalkTalk filtering out what we see, and Microsoft taking over voice and over the internet, basically. So what do you think about the future of the internet? Is it all good? The future's bright, the future's orange. Okay, you've missed that memo as well then, haven't you? 
What do you mean the Orange and T-Mobile merger? Anytime, anywhere. Interesting times. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with all these changes. So if you've got any comments and Google lets you, send us an email, post on our blog, or expose your privacy on Facebook and scroll on our wall. Time for feedback and your questions now. Michael Freeman says, I was horrified the other day when clearing out, I realised how much I've spent on portable technology over the years. Sony cassette players, all of the Scions, Sony mini disc players and Palm Pilots, mostly abandoned as there were no drivers for Windows 7. Yeah, the graveyard of old technology. I've got a drawer full of that stuff as well. He's now using an Apple iTouch and wonders when will this be rendered useless because of a compatibility issue. Is that likely? Well, never say never. Think about the good old PDA and pages. Now, they died a death fairly quickly. Can you imagine a world, though, without the iPod in 10 years from now? I guess the danger here is that Apple does tend to use proprietary formats and software. What you might want to do, Michael, is just keep an eye out for good old common open source format material. So if uh, Apple isn't around in 10 years from now, you can at least put your music in another format. Yes, wise advice. And of course, you say never say never again. That was the film, the only James Bond film to feature a scion. If you remember, there's that little scene where he pretends it's a bomb. It's amazing the rubbish you know. Talking about old technology, we had a text in from Lee Appleby in Manchester. He says it'd be great if we could cover Symbian stuff. He's been a Symbian user since the Nokia N-Gage. So you up to speed on Symbian? What was Symbian? It used to be the operating system that powered a lot of the Nokia handhelds and smartphones. But of course, these days, poor old Symbian uh, has been pretty much phased out these days. And uh, Microsoft and Nokia are in partnership for their new range of Windows 7 mobiles. So we're not going to see that many new Symbian Series 60 phones hit the market. Which is sad, because I'd like to have seen that on my Nokia. And mine's an up-to-date Nokia. What's this one, P? That's the Nokia 1. I think it's at least a 2. Anyway, right now, uh, time for a podline call. Hello there, it's Galvin just saying Newcastle upon time. So there's a couple of questions for you. Um, I'm trying to get hold of a shortwave radio. I know you did a shortwave feature a few months ago. I'm looking for a shortwave radio which actually allows you to key the frequency yourself via direct tuning. Um, because I'm visually impaired, that would be the best option for myself. Um, the radio must be pocket size. But there's also um, there's supposed to be a digital version of a shortwave radio, the DRM project which hasn't really taken off. I don't know if you've got any more information, uh, you know, what's happening to the DRM project and will there be any radios or any receivers coming out? For shortwave radio, I use the Eaton G8, which is a really nice portable little uh, shortwave receiver. It doesn't have direct input, though. If you're after direct input, you could take a look at Eaton's G6 or G3, both of which cover a decent selection of bands and have keyboard input. Links to both on our show notes. As for DRM, those that don't know about Digital Radio Mondial, it's a form of digital radio that uses the AM band, not the FM band. Apparently, Ofcom is considering introducing this in the UK as early as 2012 on the current medium wave band. We'll keep you informed. And next, a follow-up to our piece in the last show about cable tidies. Stuart Ward says, there's a simple answer, use short cables. <laughs> he's not wrong. And he actually sent us some pictures of some very, very short cables where he's obviously cut the lead 
stuck a little plug on the end. Good plan. Although a bit tedious when you want to put it on your bedside table when you go to a hotel or something, and it's just not quite long enough. He says, I've collected a short range of cables that are much easier to carry around than the uh, usual metre-long things that come with most gadgets. What I've never been able to do is find a short SCART lead. Uh, Why do you need a metre-long cable to connect two boxes sitting on top of each other? Yep, very, very fair point. If you manage to find one, let us know. Next, we heard from Michael Johnson. Remember the nabbers tag? Oh, weather and all that rubbish with funny ears that flap around. It's all magnetic and you pull it apart, can you? Well, Michael's got the next-generation nabbers tag. This new one's called Carrots with a K and Michael's got one. He says it's quicker to respond than the old Nabbers tag slightly larger and heavier as well It's also got these RFID things so you can wave objects in front of it and it makes silly noises and beeps and whatever else Yeah, I find a parrot does much the same thing or the hamster. He goes on to say uh, the voice and sound quality is better The local weather app is indeed a delight and there is only one pulsating LED on the rabbit Cheers for that, Michael. And if you want to see a picture of the new carrots, go to our website. Now we've got a question where we need some listener help. We actually had the same inquiry in from a Howard and from Andrew, and it's about energy meters. Carl, give this one a read for me. I have recently installed solar power on my home. The system output can be viewed on the Sunnybeam display unit. I've also an energy meter provided by NPower, which monitors the flow from and to my electricity meter. The M-Power meter cannot distinguish between flow direction to or from the grid. Is there any new energy meter on the market which will assist me in identifying whether I'm drawing energy in or exporting it out? It's always nice to know whether you're coming or going, isn't it? If you are a solar buff, please let us know if you found a solution and we'll pass it on. One other piece of feedback here, and this one's all the way from New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand? A mysterious guy. Who is this? This is Nick, mailing us from all the way down under. I've been listening to your internet steaming, I think you meant streaming there, with the uh, TuneIn iPhone app. Think you should set your sights higher and become the world digital TV and technology podcast. That's very sweet of him. Finding it really interesting to see where New Zealand sits in relation to digital TV and technology in comparison to the UK. Well, we're obviously hot stuff, we're steaming. Finally, I want to say a quick hi to Nick Gingell. He's recently had the pleasure of listening to all 63 back shows. Poor thing. He's got a great suggestion for the next show, Carl, which is GPS running and fitness gadgets. I'm kind of thinking maybe I should get you one of those Nike things for your trainers and I'll just send you on a 20-mile run. Would you be up for that? I don't think so. I wouldn't be up for a 20-pace run, let alone a 20-mile run. He's not the only one, though, that's gone through our back catalogue. We've also had a, a special listener in the form of Tom Mann. I say special because he's gone to all the effort of going through the back catalogue, but apparently he's not the only one. So maybe we've got two special listeners. Uh, if you haven't listened to the back catalogue, Maybe you'd like to become special too. If you've got a spare 37 hours, that is. So go on then, you special listeners. Get in touch or even listen to our back catalogue. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call 0208 133 4567. Or if you're on the move, text us on 07 You can also mail us from the site or even tweet us. Go on, you healthy lot. Get in touch. Well, sorry to say that's all for this show, show 64. For news updates or to get in touch, please visit frequencycast.co.uk. While you're there, click the Add Us to iTunes button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for FrequencyCast. Thanks for listening to our tantalising take on technology. And if you like what you've heard, please spread the word. word.